Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano. I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal, revealing stories. She whispered, Did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the... I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach. General Star, Elijah Heimbach speaking. How may I help? Into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. Always a problem with the pop sex. You just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. We're wired to have a a believing brain rather than a doubting brain. And the the doubt is something that you kind of have to train or acquire. is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, before we get started, I have just a few pieces of housekeeping. First, as always, I must thank my latest patrons, and they are as follows. Laura Elliott Mixon. The Lizard King, Amy Sillers, Adriana Herman, Greg Stevens, and David Lemka. Thank you all so much. You are the lifeblood of this show. Your support, your love and trust in me to do things with your money means the whole world to me. And you are ensuring that this show has a long life. Also, for those of you who want to join their number, go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for a dollar a month, five dollars a month or ten dollars a month, you will get access to my patrons only podcast called House of Heretics, in which Justin and I drink coffee and talk about whatever's in the news that day. Religious news, religious insanity. Uh, We talk philosophy. We talk religion. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And also you get access to my weekly meditations on the tarot. So if that interests you, then please become a patron. Not only does it ensure that this show have a long life, it also ensures that all the other stuff that I'm doing with Rock Candy Podcast, all the other shows that I'm involved in, the music studio, etc., our live shows, all of that is help by my patrons. So if you love my work, if you find yourself waking up every Monday morning and looking forward to sacred tension, uh, then please consider becoming a patron. All right. Well, with all of that out of the way, I am incredibly excited to welcome one of my favorite podcasters to the show. His name is Mick West, former video game designer, churned professional skeptic and conspiracy theory debunker. He is the author of Escaping the Rabbit Hole. He is the host of the podcast Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Mick West, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So uh, I, I gave kind of a brief overview of what you do, but... Tell us in your own words what it is you do, because you're just an incredibly interesting person to me. Well, I guess the background really is that I am a—I used to be a video game programmer, and I uh, did fairly well in the video game industry. And I I so hate to interrupt you, but you created my childhood. 
Like, I just have to say, <laughs> like, because you, you're responsible for, for the Tony Hawk games, right? Uh, I'm one of the people responsible okay. for the Tony Hawk games, yes. I was a, a co-founder of Neversoft, which is the, the game developer who did that. Oh, my and God. And I was a programmer, and so uh, I programmed a lot of the uh, the physics for the games and the player control and things like that. And uh, I, I told everybody else what to do uh, when it comes to programming. So, yeah, I was more of a programmer than a designer, though I did help with the design. But yeah, so with with Tony Hawk, uh, that was that was great. Obviously, and made a lot of money, and it allowed me to kind of like uh, retire from the games industry at a f- relatively young age. And so I find myself with a lot of spare time. <laughs> That's so great. So what I what I did with that was basically just uh, whatever I wanted. And one thing I I kind of liked doing is just kind of uh, investigating and talking with people on the internet. And so that kind of led me into a, like a number of uh, you know, rabbit holes one of which was the chemtrails conspiracy theory. So I started a blog discussing the chemtrails conspiracy theory called uh, Contrails Science, and that ran for a while. It's still, still going, I just don't post there anymore. And then I started another site called Metabunk, which was about looking into all kinds of different conspiracy theories. And uh, that's still going, I still post there a lot. And yeah, then that led to other things. I got I invited on various podcasts. I got on the Joe Rogan podcast and then... Uh, uh, a publisher asked me if I wanted to write a book about debunking, so I wrote the book Escaping the Rabbit Hole, uh, which is how to debunk conspiracy theories using facts, logic, and respect. So it's mm-hmm. all about how to talk to people who are deep in the conspiracy theory rabbit hole and help them get out of it, but doing it in a, a kind way. And mm-hmm. then I've started my own podcast, Tales from the Rabbit Hole, which is all about trying to figure out what's going on with people in this uh, kind of conspiracy space. So right now I kind of spend my time uh, kind of doing debunking online, like investigating things. I do fun little experiments, little science experiments, and I analyze videos and things. And I also uh, do my podcast and I'm going to be working on my next book. Uh, So that's that's where I am now. That's wonderful. And there's one particular thing that you said that stands out to me, which was uh what was the subtitle of your book one more time it's how to debunk conspiracy theories using facts logic and respect yeah so the the point that stands out to me the most there is respect and i think that's what i that i think that's what i appreciate about you the most because there are a lot of people in the skeptic community and i consider myself a skeptic maybe not a very good skeptic, you know, maybe someone who's still learning how to be a skeptic, but I do consider myself kind of part of the skeptic community. And a lot of skeptics are not very kind, or at least that's the stereotype of skeptics, right? I think that there are a lot more kind skeptics out there than the stereotype would lead one to believe. But, you know, when I was in college, I believed some pretty hardcore conspiracy theories, which led me down a very, very dark rabbit hole into not being able to invest in my future because I believed that the world was going to end in 2012, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And I wish that there was someone like you when it, around, and I'm sure there was, but I just wasn't aware of them. I, I wish that I had exposure to someone like you when I was in college because listening to your podcast you, you know, you talk to a lot of these different conspiracy theories. You talk to UFO Jesus and so on and, you know, all of these different guys uh, on YouTube, flat earthers and whatnot. And you're always so respectful. You're always so kind. You don't call them stupid. You don't call them names. And I really, really appreciate that. And I just think that's wonderful. 
was there yeah well, I th- yeah go on i i think that uh yeah i do it yeah in part just because i'm a nice guy <laughs> it's just uh, the way i've always been <laughs> yeah you know, i just uh, never really got into being uh, being an asshole uh but also because it works it it's does. more effective to talk to people in a in a respectful way it's not about like being kind or being polite or you know trying to pretend pretend that they are right about something you just need to treat them with respect yeah it's like if someone has an idea about something and you think it's wrong they think it's right you can have a discussion about why you think you are right and why they think they are right and what the actual differences are and you can usually you know at some point you can find some common ground absolutely so that's really the kind of the key the key advice I give when talking about discussions with people is that you search for that, that common ground. No matter what the topic is, you just drill, drill down. If you disagree, you know, go down a little bit lower to things you might agree on. If you still disagree, go down a bit lower. You know, eventually you'll find something you agree on. You can talk about football or something, or you can yeah. talk about you know, how you view politicians or something. Yeah, uh, but you can also agree on something, and then you just kind of go up a little bit from there and see what you disagree upon and mm. why do you disagree. And reasonable people can disagree and unreasonable people <laughs> obviously can disagree too but uh, if you treat someone with respect even if they have a kind of an irrational position you can usually kind of uh, get them to ground their arguments in reason so what is the common ground usually is there one particular thing that you find that you have common ground with with uh with conspiracy theorists yeah i mean usually the the easiest common ground is distrust of government yeah and distrust essentially of politicians not so much government as an abstract entity but individual Mm. people in government we know uh lots of them are acting mostly in their own self-interest they become politicians because they they enjoy it and they either well they either kind of are doing it with some kind of goal in mind or they kind of get corrupted by the process because the the process of being a politician, especially in America, involves raising lots of money for your campaign. Uh, so people end up having to t- accept lobbyist contributions and then that uh, kind of affects their decision-making process because they feel somewhat beholden to these uh, these lobbyists who are giving them money and there's a kind of an implied quid pro quo and sometimes there's even outright bribery. So you wouldn't generally agree that these things happen. Everybody knows that yeah. corruption is a very real thing and we corruption in um, in the in the government in, in the government but also in industry as well yeah so yeah that's something we use as a starting point i think that's awesome and isn't the and maybe i would think for you know for myself having conversations with maybe former steven you know 22 year old steven who is convinced that the illuminati was, is going to you know mm-hmm. kill us all with our drinking water i would also think that the for me, the concession that there are such things as conspiracy. I mean, there are real conspiracies like Watergate. Like there, there is such a thing as a real conspiracy. Oh, yeah. And I don't know, maybe finding that delineation between what is real and not real. But it isn't to say that conspiracies don't exist at all. Watergate was a conspiracy. And, um, you know, the CIA has been involved in in creepy, shitty stuff, <laughs> you know, like it's it is it's real it exists could you i could you just kind of run down a list of some conspiracies that you think are real yeah well i mean uh, the one you mentioned there watergate is obviously uh, one that was a very significant one hmm. you can think of kind of uh, government and geopolitical things as being 
conspiracies one way or the other. You get a lot of things where you get one side is claiming something, the other side is claiming the other thing. So obviously one of those sides is lying. Right. Because uh, there's, there's only one actual reality in the world world so mm. you know either they're both lying or one of them is lying they can't both be telling the truth mm. so this kind of implies that every time there's some kind of disagreement in politics whereas there's fundamental disagreement about what happened or something like that that means there actually was uh, a conspiracy to lie to Absolutely. people there mm. uh, like there, like for example the the russians did a lot of stories on rt uh, their their you know tv station their website about what they said was going to be a false flag chemical weapon in Syria. Hmm. This was, I think, this was quite some time ago. It was like at least six months ago. But they did this whole series of stories on this. And they said that the Americans were going to stage a fake chemical attack so they could justify some kind of invasion of Syria or something like that. So here we've got a case where either there was a conspiracy to do a false flag attack on the Americans' part or... There was a conspiracy uh, making it look like the Americans had done a false flag attack and the Russians themselves would actually do the attack themselves. So there's, right. by default, a conspiracy exists. We don't know which one it is. I mean, mm. I would suspect that the lying is probably on the part of the Russians there. But we know that there must be a conspiracy uh, and quite a significant one there. You know, false flags are a pretty, uh, pretty serious thing, especially when civilians are being killed by chemical weapons. Mm. So, you know, things do actually happen. There yeah. are actually conspiracies by... Uh, by real people, powerful Ab people. Absolutely. So I guess then the question becomes, where, where's the leap? Like, what is the jump from real conspiracies, which are backed up by facts <laughs> and evidence, etc.? And most of the and, and you know most of these conspiracies they're incredibly interesting they're incredibly convoluted but also they're really quite boring and not simple compared to the <laughs> the conspiracy theories how do how do we go from real conspiracies to conspiracy theories what is the jump that people take does I don't know if that question makes sense what yeah, is no, it, it, does, it does. you know like what is what is it that compels us to to believe these these crazy <clears throat> stories of alien cover-ups or the Illuminati well, or the Bilderberger group or whatever. I think people, uh, for a variety of reasons, they kind of mentally prefer to assume that there's somebody behind things, like there's some actual reason, mm -hmm. uh, some significant reason for events to happen. Like if someone you know, was to walk into a school and shoot a whole bunch of children, that's a terrible thing. And uh, for some people, the idea is just some random guy who was a bit, a bit crazy, just decided to do it one day and did it. Hmm. Uh, doesn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't really fit in their, their worldview where they think that uh, everything happens for a reason. So they try to figure out what could be the reason. And the thing that they, they hit upon, and eventually it becomes a habit to hit upon this thing, is that powerful people in government are, have orchestrated these things. So because they want to ascribe an agency to it, hmm. they pick the most obvious agency in their mind, which is, is the government. They also want to have a sense of uh, proportionality. People like things to make sense in terms of like a really big event happened. Like, could it have a small cause? Like when JFK was assassinated, he was shot by one lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald, three shots. 
to uh, two of which hit him. Uh, but a lot of people think that that's not enough. That's not enough of an explanation. There must be more to it than just some like crazy angry guy who uh, didn't like JFK. Uh, shooting him even though that's you know what the evidence seems to indicate so they desperately try to look for evidence of other things like they look for evidence of another shooter or they look for evidence of people uh like the cia controlling oswald so they look for a more powerful thing because you on the one hand you've got this little guy lee harvey oswald and then you've got this giant jfk like historical figure like yeah well liked you know very very powerful most powerful man in the world and this tiny little man brings down this huge man it just seems impossible Hmm. so they need to invent some kind of framework on the other side to explain that Hmm. so basically if i understand you it's almost like we have it's these innate cognitive biases right you know i think one Mm -hmm. of those cognitive biases is ascribing will and intention to things that maybe there isn't necessarily will and intention and we do this all the time just as creatures you know you know as human beings we do this all the time and you know it's it's kind of similar to like looking at the clouds and seeing a human face or something it's like we we ascribe features and patterns and will to things that aren't actually there. And so there is, and these cognitive biases go really deep, don't they? I mean, they, they, and they're, they're like, they're like sub-rational. Like I know for myself, you know, I still get this. I, I still deal with this. And I think that I have come to understand that I am just kind of a super gullible person. And it's something that I've come to learn about myself. Like several months ago, I was like 2 a.m. I was falling down the YouTube rabbit hole and just watching video after video. You know, it's like that 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 state where you're too tired to stop watching, but you really need to go to bed. And so I'm like exhausted and delirious and I'm just watching a video. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then I land on this video of like um, a spelunker or a um a cave explorer and he has hundreds mm-hmm. of videos do exploring mine shafts and abandoned underground places and it's a really really cool channel but then he has one or two videos of him encountering what looks like a paranormal activity and there i am in my bed at 2 a.m super exhausted just being like it's all fucking real all of it is real. <laughs> this is proof. It's all real. And, yeah. you know, and, and then, but then there was this second thought that came after that, which is not natural to me. And that second thought was, well, wait a second. What have I learned from the skeptics? You know, what have I learned from people like Matt Dillahunty and whatnot? And so I Google this particular video and they're pretty thorough debunking of it. There's a there's a very thorough, very simple debunking of it, which was literally just one search away. But if I had not consciously chosen to do that and taught myself to do that, I would never have done that. I would never have taken that next step. And so it's just like, I I feel like for me, my natural state is to just believe people, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. My natural state is to just believe people, to trust what people are telling me, and to believe a good story. And I think I have that that sensitivity to just trusting other people and just believing a good story. And being a skeptic, is not necessarily something that comes naturally to me, and I don't think that's unusual. I think a lot of people are in that sit are in that. That's position. true. It's true, and uh, you know, partly that's just 
a biological thing mm. it's actually easier for the brain to just uh, accept uh, belief than it is for the brain to question things yeah and th there's, there've been studies where they actually do mris of people's brains and they uh, kind of like tell them things that are kind of like true and they tell them things that are false things that create some kind of cognitive dissonance uh, in the person and the brain just prefers things to fit together nice and neatly yeah so you, you have this very very strong natural tendency and there's probably kind of uh uh there's probably biological reasons for evolutionary reasons for it uh, and you could you could look at uh michael Shermer has a good book on this like why do people believe weird things yeah uh, which discusses like the the biological kind of underpinnings for for belief hmm. uh but yeah, we're, we're, we're wired to have a, a believing brain rather than a doubting brain and the the doubt is something that you kind of have to train or acquire it's kind of interesting though because conspiracy theorists you know they're about believing these conspiracy theories but they're also about doubting the official story it's mm. like they they've got this this strange combination of belief and doubt but it's it's skewed in one direction it's skewed for believing anything that isn't the official story they've mm. somehow tarred this one outlet of information as being untrustworthy so it's like normally you've got all these different sources of information and you kind of like get info from them and you kind of evaluate them but if you just kind of blot out this one which is you label as the official story then you don't have that anymore and all of a sudden all the other things become much more significant they kind of leap into the forefront of your mind uh, so if anybody tells you anything then because you don't have any official story or any like you know science or uh, or history or anything like that to 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 compare it against you just have to accept this thing so it's so it's kind of a oh a crippled kind of uh, way of looking at the world because you've 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 removed essentially the the more fact-based uh, interpretation because of this association with with corruption and power that's fascinating so what are the primary conspiracy theories that you find yourself working on these days like is there a list of of a few primary conspiracy theories that you find yourself returning to again yeah. and again lately yeah well the most uh, common one i think is the 9-11 conspiracy theory just because it's such mm. a, a fundamental theory that most people who, who are into some kind of conspiracy theories have some kind of conspiracy theory about 9-11 like they will mm. think that uh, you know the u.s government was behind it or the the Israelis were behind it, or uh, they think that the buildings were brought down with explosives, or there's more extreme ones where they think they were brought down with uh, nuclear bombs or uh, hmm. energy beams from space. Uh, but everyone's got some kind of 9-11 conspiracy theory. So that one comes up a lot. Uh, there's the there's the chemtrails conspiracy theory. It's like still going on. It's kind of, you know, kind of settled down in intensity. There's not a lot actually happening in it because... I think because they made predictions about the world collapsing from all the chemtrails and the world is going along just fine and uh, nothing has really happened. Then, like other ones, I, I've actually been spending quite a bit of time recently on UFOs, which yes, you don't and I love think that of. stuff. I love that yeah. stuff so much. <laughs> like, I, I, to quote the X-Files, I want to believe. <laughs> so very, Everyone so very badly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. So talk some about the UFO stuff, because there has been a lot of activity happening in the UFO world. And, you know, there's there's talk of disclosure from the government. Mm -hmm. There's the there 
the, you know, there was the uncovering of a UFO program and I was at the FBI. So what's, what's been going on in the UFO world these days and what's your take on it? Well, I guess the big thing really is essentially it revolves around Tom DeLonge, uh, the Blink-182 right. guy. And right. he started this organization called the To the Stars Academy because he's a real big UFO guy and he thinks that UFOs are real. And so he, he, he thought like, you know, he'll start this organization trying to prove this. So he, he's, you know, I guess, raised money or spent, spending his own, own money. And he's hired a variety of people or he's hooked up with a variety of people, including like this one guy, uh, Lou, Lou Elizondo, who used to be working on this uh, project for the government, which was something to do with studying UFOs. It was called the AA Tip uh, program from a few years ago. It was it was kind of like a Harry Reid. It goes back goes back quite a long way. It's a bit complicated. Harry Reid, like a big UFO fan, uh, has a friend called Rob Bigelow. For the people, Bigelow airspace. for the people who just aren't up on politics, uh, who is Harry mm. Reid? Harry Reid is the former House. Majority leader is he for the Democrats? Right. Yeah. yeah it's uh, yeah, basically the the leader of the the Democrats. Oh, well, he's retired now. Uh, but he he basically uh, arranged for twenty two million dollars to be authorized to be spent on this program. Most of which I think went to his friend Rob Bigelow, who runs this this aerospace company. But some some of it also went to this program for studying UFOs. It's not really clear exactly what happened because a lot of it is, mm. is classified stuff, or it's just you know stuff that hasn't come out. Uh, but there was a guy who worked there, and then he went to work for uh, Tom DeLong. And so what happened was that he managed to get these three videos declassified. Uh, the three black and white videos like from the the the, the FLIR cameras, the forward-looking infrared cameras on these planes. And they show like various different kind of UFO type things, little black dots in the distance, like moving in various different ways. And people got very excited about these because they were some kind of uh, official government UFO videos. And it's, it's since you know, been... Uh, validated that they are actually videos that the government says at some point were unknown it's not clear if they're unknown now but the actual things are classified because they were part of a, a military operation but anyway there's there's been all this uh all this hubbub around these videos so i've spent a lot of time actually analyzing these videos and the reason i'm interested in ufos is that i find analyzing ufo videos to be like a fun little thing it's mm. kind of a bit like uh, game programming in reverse like in game programming, <laughs> yeah. you get this, this all this data where you know where, where everything is in the world and where the camera is and how things are moving. And then you take that and you create essentially a video. The video, the video game itself is a video stream. So you have all these mathematical transforms that you use to take one set of data in 3D and create a picture in 2D. So you can do the same thing in reverse. If you're given a picture, you can figure out what the actual underlying data would be that would create that picture. So you can study how big things are, how fast they're moving and how far away they are. And if you know like a certain number of variables, you can calculate the unknown variables, like the position or the size or the speed or things like that. So I kind of use use my game programming skills to do things like that. And I did that on these these three videos and I tried to uh, figure out exactly what they were or at least you know, as, as well as I could figure out. Problem is there isn't enough information to figure out exactly what they are, but there is information that you can actually point to certain things about them that uh, show that they're not quite as interesting as uh, Tom DeLonge uh, says <laughs> they are. So 
is there let me see let me see how i want to phrase this i feel like one so one of my favorite people who does kind of similar work to you do, to what you do is named Carrie Poppy. And uh, she has a fantastic show called Ono, Ross and Carrie, uh, which mm-hmm. I hope everyone listening goes and listen to. And, and what she does is she investigates fringe. Uh, she doesn't do conspiracy theories, but she does like fringe science. So she does, you know, pseudo scientific health cures and she does paranormal stuff and weird religions and, and so on. She, you know, she became a Mormon. She became a Scientologist. She became, you know, she, she joined the Ethereum Society. And she has a TED Talk where she talks about her, um, the, a, a haunting that she experienced, a, you know, quote-unquote haunting. And this is when she was still a believer. And it turned out to be a carbon monoxide leak. Hmm. She ended up saying a mystery, in that talk, she says... A mystery is a mystery. A mystery isn't a ghost. And I think and this is what I've had to learn, and it's taken me a really long time to learn this, is that we have these cultural narratives. And, you know, one of those cultural narratives is God, is primarily the Christian God. <laughs> Another cultural narrative is UFOs. Another cultural narrative is ghosts. And what we, whereas, you know, a thousand years ago, it would have been a different cultural narrative. You know, it would have been another super supernatural thing or it would have been another entity or, or whatever. Um, and it's like when something mysterious happens, we do this God in, God in the gaps thing. And I do it, too, where the moment we see one of those videos that Tom DeLonge releases, we have that cultural narrative. We have that cultural myth of the UFO. And it's so easy to just reach for that and just plug it in instead of just saying, you know what? A mystery is a mystery. We don't know what the fuck this thing is, right? And it's probably pretty mundane, but we don't need to, we we don't know what it is. And so what I see you doing is kind of putting on the brakes for people <laughs> and saying, yeah. let, you know, let's not plug in this <clears throat> this cultural myth let's not plug in this you know this entity as a ready-made answer let's just say a mystery is a mystery right and and if i understand the processes of skepticism correctly kind of each each link in the chain of reasoning needs to be established so we start with the mystery and then we go from there we and we can't jump from mystery to ufo or 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 not i mean ufo means an unidentified flying object. It is a UFO. I mean, an alien. <laughs> That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, do you? Yeah, I think yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're saying there. And uh, what I think the problem is that people like to have one explanation for things. Hmm. They need to. They need to pick just like one thing that explains it. And they feel that they either have to pick one or the other. And a lot of people don't want to exclude the UFO thing. And they feel like if they go with the other explanation, then they're throwing away their, their beloved uh, UFO explanation. So hmm. they have a tendency to stay with one. But uh, I think it's a terrible mistake to try to just shoehorn all the facts into one explanation. The best thing to do with these cases is to make a list of all the possible explanations you can think of and never take anything off the list. You can keep UFOs on the list. Like, for example, say uh, a pilot gives an account of him seeing a UFO. So he saw something like a, you know, an orange ball outside. He's hovering outside his plane window. What could that be? 
you know, you could say that it's either, you know, either this guy is lying or it's uh, an alien spacecraft. And a lot of people will go for these these two two options. But you know, it could be that he saw something outside of his plane, like um, uh, another plane or a balloon or something like that, uh, that he mistook for you know a, an actual flying craft just because of perspective or whatever. It could be uh, that uh, it could be that he was lying. It could be that he made a mistake in his memory. He could have been misremembering something he saw from years ago depending on when the account was. Um, mm. it, it could be that the entire story is being made up, like perhaps you know he this this guy doesn't even exist, like if either account has been given third hand. There could be a whole bunch of different explanations for what he saw. Perhaps it was like a, he's actually seeing a reflection in his window or something like that. If it was at night, perhaps he was seeing a flare that had been dropped by another plane. Perhaps it was a ghost. Perhaps it was an angel. Perhaps right. it was alien. You know, the... <laughs> Perhaps it was some kind of top secret government uh, drone. Uh, perhaps it was an individual's drone, uh, mm-hmm. some guy with a drone. Maybe it was a Chinese lantern. You know, there are all these possible explanations. And you don't have to just say, like, it's either this or this. You can make a list of all these explanations. And then you go through the list and you compare individual things on that list. And you say, what, which seems more likely amongst these two things, like Chinese lantern versus like seeing Venus? Well, you know, it says it was big, so it probably wasn't Venus. So we'll stick Venus a bit lower down. Maybe there's a problem with this description. Well, we will keep Venus on just in case. See, you know, things, things come up. Well, so you, you move things around on the list and you sort the list into order. And you'll find usually that you've got a, a, a list of, you know, a variety of things. Something will come to the top. Uh, some things will be at the bottom. It doesn't mean that that's what happened or that, that isn't what that isn't what happened. But you get a list of things. You don't get this fight between two things. Yeah. And this, this is what I try to do uh, whenever I get a UFO case. And quite often I end up with two things uh, at the top, which are almost equally likely. Like it could be a bird or a balloon, for example. But if, if we're just talking about a white dot in the distance, it could be either of those two things. Hmm. And it's really impossible to tell with the information you have. But just because you don't know which one it is doesn't mean you don't know what it is. You have a good idea of the type of thing it could be. And you know there's no good reason to jump to alien spaceship just because you can't tell whether it's a bird or a balloon. Hmm. And do you think that there's sort of a, a confusion between hypothesis and theory for people (laughs) you know kind of a a basic definition of hypothesis being this is some this is a notion of what it might be but we need to test it we need to explore it before we can say i believe this is what it is whereas a theory is something that goes through some i mean this is my very rudimentary understanding whereas a theory is something that passes some muster goes through some mm-hmm. testing goes through some observation and then you can say i can say with some confidence that this is what it is and i i sometimes feel like people confuse hypothesis and theory just because i sorry go I on i disagree i okay. disagree because uh, the word theory means hypothesis okay in in the dictionary mm-hmm. because in the in common usage in non-scientific usage the word theory is used to mean uh, a suggestion for what might have happened or a suggestion that explains something. So it means the exact same thing as hypothesis. Okay. So I, I think the, you know, the, in, in science, of course, theory is something very different. It is, it is a model of the universe that has been well tested, sure. a model of certain aspect of the universe. Like Newton's theory of universal gravitation is a, a model of how uh, gravity works in the universe. Uh, it's a very good model. It's very well tested. It's it's slightly wrong, 
mm-hmm. in that it doesn't account for the curvature of space-time. But it's you know it's a very good a very good model. But you know, people using the term theory versus hypothesis, I don't I don't think is important because okay. most people are not scientists and they're not talking about it in a scientific sense. So if someone says my theory is this. You know what that means. It means that they have a hypothesis. Sure. So you don't find that a helpful distinction in these conversations? Not then? at all. No, I okay. think it's actually a confusing distinction for most people. It's like, what are you talking about? Sure. I'm just telling you what the theory is. <laughs> sure. Actually, but the theory doesn't mean that. So it, it, it annoys people if you, if okay. you make that, so, sure. that uh, now, kind of distinction. Is, is there, have, there, have you run across any, any conspiracy theories or anything that's weird that has made you pause and be like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, have, have, has there been anything that has just stopped you in your tracks and you've been like, what, what the hell is this? And, and like, are there any accounts of, because like for me, from my, for, for me, what does that is the Rendlesham forest incident where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to say this is a UFO I'm not going to say this is an alien, but whatever it is, mm-hmm. this seems really, really fucking weird, and I have no clue what happened. Is there anything that just makes you stop in your tracks and kind of weird you out? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of the UFO cases, if you take them at face value, then they're yeah. very difficult to explain. Uh, but there's you know, the simplest explanations for a lot of the UFO things are either it was some kind of hoax a trick that was being played on someone else or is something that the reporting person themselves has made up Hmm. or uh, it's something where they're just mistaking what they're seeing, which is kind of a combination of the first two, uh, possibly. So like with Rendlesham, it could well be that, you know, someone was playing some kind of uh, trick upon people. Hmm. And they, uh, they, these various reports kind of got added together, and it come, it come, becomes this one complicated incident. If you look at the the Nimitz encounter, this is the one of the UFO incidents we're talking about. Uh, people talk about like you know, there's loads and loads of people who reported on this thing. Like there's people, the radar operators saw it, and then there's these four people in these two planes who saw it, and then uh, there's this this video of it. Uh, but these are actually all completely different incidents. The, the video that you see is, is one thing. The guys in the planes is another thing. The radar is yet another thing. That the radar people directed the guys in the planes to this region, and they saw something that was within a few miles of, uh, of the spot where they were directed to, uh, but it, it was in kind of a different altitude than they, they said it was. So it was, uh, you know, there's no real indication that it was the same thing. So you can get things tend to be conflated and were com- and I blended together into one big thing. But if you if you think of them as necessarily being connected, then it's quite difficult to explain these things. See, if, we, if we've got something that's been confirmed by video, by radar, by multiple eyewitnesses, but it hasn't. Often these are very different things. And with Rendlesham, we don't have just like one continuous account uh, of all these different things. We have these different, you know, this guy saw this, this guy saw this. You know, some guy sees a light through the trees. Um, there's various theories about what that might be. There's various other things that happened. So yeah, the, the, there are accounts that are difficult to explain if the account is accurate. But I think it's, 
you've got to first of all ask is the account actually an accurate account and does it is it is it a high quality account is it just some guy telling you what he remembered or is it uh, some guy telling you what him and somebody else remembered and then when you're adding in somebody else's account is that also high quality and then you blend it all together into a description when you synthesize all these different things together into one continuous nar narrative are you actually kind of making leaps when you're creating this this single narrative by by weaving together all these individual narratives hmm. i can imagine someone hearing that and i think i have heard people say this on your show i think ufo jesus said said some stuff like this if i remember correctly but basically saying why you know basically saying you know you're being a skeptical killjoy and <laughs> um why distrust people's memory so much I think that we have such an innate trust in our memory, right? We we tend to see mm, it as sure. just like hitting a recorder. But why isn't memory so trustworthy? Like, I feel like that's, that's an important yeah. thing here, isn't it? it? It doesn't really matter why okay. it's not trustworthy. What matters is that it's not trustworthy. And okay. This is something that's very, very well understood, that it, it, that it happens. You know, the actual mechanics of the brain are still not really understood. But we know that people uh, people's memories are not like a video recorder. And when you remember something, it goes through various stages. And part of the process of thinking about it and remembering it in your short term is what kind of cements it in the long term. So it's very easy for memory to kind of get, kind of magnified in the telling and to change. Uh, people, uh, yeah, I'm sure most people have had some experience of thinking that one person said told them something and then they later found out that it was actually somebody else who told them that thing or that they were at a place and somebody was there but then they weren't actually there because they they're misremembering it so it's very easy for memory to change there's been a lot of research there's a, a researcher called elizabeth loftus who's written a, a few books and a few papers on this subject and she's done some research where they try to uh, implant false memories in people and they would do things like they would get people in uh, for a kind of a, a fake study and they will ask them to tell them their memories and then they have them back later and then they ask them about the memories again and what they do is they ask them about a memory that didn't actually happen a memory that wasn't actually there in the first set of memories and they'll say things like oh well you know so you you were talking about the time when you got lost in the mall when you were a small child and some people will say no i didn't and other people go oh yeah uh and then the, the person <laughs> describes uh, what they supposedly told them. And they, the guy, person is, uh, yeah, no, I kind of remember that now. And they implant this memory of being lost mm. in the mall as a small child in this person. And they start to remember it, even though it never actually happened. Mm. It was something that is entirely made up. Uh, and they eventually, they, they come to remember it very well. Then they come back again like for a third time hmm. and they ask them, tell us about that time you got lost in the mall. Oh yeah, I was about five. It was terrible. I was really scared. My mom was looking for me. And they've, they've created entirely false memory. Now this is a deliberate thing, but it could also happen by accident. People people can just, over time, memories just get uh, confused and conflated. There's was, there was a famous, not famous, but a, a very well-told tale on, I think it's um, uh, This American Life. Uh, you know, it's an NPR show. 
And his husband and wife have this this story. They're at they're at Central Park in New York, and the woman, I think, is the woman, looks across the road and she sees Jackie Kennedy uh, emerging from a hotel. And mm-hmm. she sees Jackie Kennedy there, and Jackie Kennedy waves at her, and she waves back, and then she realizes that ja- Jackie Kennedy was actually just waving for a taxi, and she gets all embarrassed and she she stops. But her husband, who was also there at the same time, doesn't remember it and mm-hmm. says nothing like that ever happened. So you get two mm. people being in the same place at the same time. One of them re- remembers this entire thing uh, with you know Jackie Kennedy, this famous woman waving at them, and the other one doesn't remember it, which you think he thinks she th- he thinks that she basically made up the entire thing. So even mm. people like husbands and wife being in the same place at the same time can have radically different memories of thing- things over time because you're remembering something that happened years ago. It could have just kind of somehow your brain just kind of little little something snaps in it, tiny little thing. You know, it just not it just not like a bad thing you know, this is something that happens to all of us like you get this idea in your head it gets stuck and that becomes reality for you even though it's something that never actually happened hmm. and this is kind of speculative i i remember reading an account of um the i think they were the hills the the original mm-hmm. kind Donnie of Hill. yes thank you um who are kind of the archetypal alien abduction yeah. story and how they seemed to have been influenced by, you know, because they were the first ones to have an encounter with a gray alien, I think is, is what happened. And they, but it seems like they were influenced either consciously or unconsciously by an image in a cartoon of a similar looking alien. And that, that came out just a few months before them. And I don't know if that's, true or not it's very speculative but i do wonder if all the media you know like all the discovery channel shows about aliens and all or all the um you know ghost hunting shows about aliens kind Mm -hmm. of shape our memory or shape our biases in such a way that we're more likely to assume that that's what it is and and not just assume it but but remember it as that um yeah do you think that's likely I think so. And uh, yeah, an interesting example of that is the origin of uh, the term flying saucer. Hmm. And uh, what happened there was this this one guy saw a UFO and he described it as looking a bit, I think it looked like a boomerang is what he described it as, like, you know, bent, bent angle stick like a V wing or something like that. And he says it, it moved like it was skipping, uh, skipping over the surface of the air like a like a saucer skips over water like a flying saucer. And then some newspaper printed this description and described it as, you know, this guy saw this flying saucer. And then other people started to see flying saucers, actual saucer-shaped craft. But he had not seen a saucer-shaped craft. He just described the motion as being something that like a saucer would make if you skipped it over the water. But they didn't know that. So they start to see saucer-shaped craft that just move around normally and not, are not skipping at all. It's something completely hmm. different. They're just basing a newspaper story. And they're thinking, all right, I'm seeing something in the sky. They're probably seeing like a little dot or a bird or something like that. And I, I've heard these stories about flying saucers. And it does kind of look saucer-shaped from here. 
they think, looking up at this uh, this little dot in the sky. And so they give an account of flying saucers. The newspaper kind of newspapers at the time they run with this because they have this original account, and they all these stories start getting published. And because there's more and more stories, people start looking up in the sky, and every time they see something like an odd cloud or uh, uh, you know whatever, like a bird or uh, uh, something, they think it's a flying saucer, and the story grows. That is fascinating. That's amazing. So it's almost like you can like trace. <laughs> like the growth of this myth through the decades uh, yeah. through little accidents like that. And I think yeah. that there is something spooky there, but I don't think it's what we normally think of as, I, I don't think it's normally what we assume is the spooky part. I think the spooky part is how unreliable the human mind is, <laughs> you know, like how our first, how unreliable our first impressions are and how we just go through life assuming that our memories and our thoughts are like this perfectly clear window through which we examine the world. And I think the spooky part of examining these conspiracy theories is coming to terms with just how much that is not the case. Like just, it doesn't mean we can't know truth. It doesn't mean that we can't know the world around us. It just means that maybe it's a bit harder. And, you know, we our, our immediate understanding or experience of the world may not be that reliable. Yeah, that's very hard for some people. Uh, a lot of people, when you question um, their accounts of things, they get very, very defensive because mm -hmm. they feel like their sanity is being uh, questioned or at least their kind of mental competence. And you have to be very, in some ways, gentle with people to get them to even consider things like that. Like if someone says, you know, they saw this giant uh, triangle-shaped craft over their, their car at one point, and you say, well, maybe, maybe it was just a plane. And they say, well, do you, do you think I'm some kind of idiot? Or do you think I'm crazy? So they will kind of stop listening to you if you uh, if you're not kind of respectful about uh, things like that. So it's mm -hmm. it's it, it it really solidifies it in people's brains because they don't want to think that they might be wrong about something. They're very very averse to thinking that uh, that their, their brains are as malleable as they they uh, they actually are. And you know, something I do is like show people things like optical illusions. There's all kinds of famous optical illusions that you can show to people, like the ones with the uh, the checkerboard with the shadow on it, where there's two squares that are actually the same color, but they look like they're completely different colors. And your brain is just you know, completely incapable of seeing them as being uh, the same color. Hmm. Uh, and if you show people things like optical illusions or you know, examples of where people's memory has, has been changed or... or uh, studies of eyewitness accounts it can help but it's it's a very tricky thing because people don't like to realize that their brain doesn't work as well as they thought it did well i think that's a great note to end on i think it's healthy for us to you know meditate on the limits of our cognition the limits on of our perceptions so i think if there's one thing to take away from this interview it is or that i take away from this interview at least it is that my immediate experience of the world might not be that reliable. <laughs> and I think that's a healthy thing to realize. Um, well, before we conclude here, what are, this is something I ask a lot of my guests, what are three books on this or any topic that you would recommend for my readers, for my listeners? Hmm. Well, I mentioned uh, uh, Michael Shermer's uh, book, Why People Believe Weird Things. Uh, there's, let's see, there's a good book called, uh, um, who was it called? So I, Rob Brotherton, 
and I think it's called, hmm, but anyway, it's a book on conspiracy theories by Rob Brotherton, which is okay. a very good one. Uh, and let's see. Oh, it's yeah, Suspicious Minds. I can see it on my bookshelf now. It's a really, really good book, a very good overview of the conspiracy uh, theories uh, scheme. Mm. Uh, another good book to look at is The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, mm. uh, which is a book of uh, you know, by the by the podcast of the same name by uh, Stephen Vella. And it's a really good book about kind of critical thinking and how to actually how people make mistakes and how you know how science works and things like that. It's a very good overview. If you want to kind of get into skepticism, it's a good way of uh, of doing that. Fantastic. For people who are interested, where can they find your stuff? They can find my stuff uh, on Twitter at Mick West and um, Metabunk.org. On, on, on Facebook, I'm a... Uh, Metabunk. And I have a YouTube channel. It's also uh, Mick West on YouTube. Awesome. And I think everyone should go listen to your podcast, Tales from the Rabbit Hole. It's fantastic. That too. (laughs) Yes, that too. Find it on all the podcast players uh, and also read your book, which I will be doing very soon, uh, Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Well, Mick, it has been an absolute delight talking to you. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, and thank you so much for your work. Thank you. It's been very interesting. Thanks. All right. Well, that is it for this show. As usual, special thanks goes to my assistant, Ramakrishna Das, who does all the visuals, and the music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleven D Seven. You can find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. Again, special thanks goes to my patrons, who keep me fed and caffeinated, who keep me, uh, who keep my cats alive and the show alive. And if you want to join their number, go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. The show is written, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Media. And as usual, thanks for listening. My attention span is paper thin Can't stop from cyberspacing out again Is this what I'm paying for staying relevant this season? Mm, My bank account looks more like an abyss Friends have been asking me, am I having kids? I guess stressing out is how I'm gonna spend this Shedding water in the deep